Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. I'm so excited about our guest today, Chase Schuyler DeMeo. Chase Schuyler DeMeo, a US Air Force veteran, died in 2008 after a near-death experience through cardiac arrest while stationed at Langley Air Force Base, Chase kept his NDE private in fear of judgment for 12 years until now. Chase was sent back from the other side to spread laughter, light, love and joy to the world. He is passionate about helping fellow veterans. This is his story and this is his passion. Chase, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm honored as well. I listen to your podcast, so <laughs> it's really exciting to be here and uh, to be able to talk to you. Oh, I can't wait to share your story today. Um, well, let's dive right in. Let's get started. You had a profound near-death experience, and I would love you to share that story with the audience. Absolutely. I'm already getting goosebumps as soon as you asked me to start sharing it. it, it the feeling rushes back. So um, if I'm smiling big while I tell it, it's, it's for good reason. Um, my experience was a, a beautiful experience. Um, it was in April 1st, 2008. I was in the United States Air Force at the time. I was stationed in Langley in Virginia. And I was young. I was uh, 19 years old, kind of had a chip on my shoulder. I had already been injured. So my left knee was injured pretty bad in training in a training exercise. And in my head, I kind of already thought, you know, I'm not going to be in the Air Force much longer. Started showing up late for work, which in the military, as you know, is a big no-no. You don't show up late for anything. You got to be 15 minutes early. But in my head, I just thought, well, you know, my lifelong goal, my lifelong dream of being in the military is, is just kind of gone down the drain. So I was really, I was upset. I would say there was a state of depression there of, um, you know, what am I going to do with my life now? Everything, you know, for since I was probably maybe 10 years old, I thought I was, you know, convinced I was going to be in the military my entire life, you know. Um, so sure enough, uh, one of the mornings I was late for work. And my supervisor thought that she was going to catch me in my room, kind of sleeping in and, and just kind of playing, uh, you know, um, hooky, I guess you could say, right, you know, yeah. just trying to, trying to be late on purpose. And she found me unconscious on my floor, in my dorm room, um, you know, they have access to your to your room. They sent me immediately to the emergency room on base. And they started running a ton of tests on me. They, they said, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to check your blood. Um, and as I was sitting there in that hospital bed, nothing was coming back abnormal. Everything was completely made me look super healthy. So they were very confused why you were laying, you know, passed on the floor. Of course, there's no hint of drugs or alcohol or anything like that. So they were, they were just kind of scratching their heads and you could visibly see it on their faces. You know, why was this 19 year old guy and I was in great shape and uh, didn't make sense. So they said, uh, one of the nurses said, we're going to do a chest x-ray, a mobile one, 
So we're gonna leave the room, we're gonna come back with the chest X-ray and we'll be right back. And that's when my entire life changed. From that moment when she left the room, um, I just got this, the best way to describe it is if you're ever watching, uh, you know, hospital shows, you know, on TV, yeah. where my vision really started to go from left and right, really blurry, double vision, shaky, but calm at the same time. You know, a lot of this is very confusing because I could say something happened fast and slow at the same time, cold and hot. But really, my vision really just started going super shaky. And um, it was at that time that I started to hear um, alarms and, and things going off that I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, it was this sense of confusion and I've seen this in movies before what's going on you know my my blood my eyesight is just kind of going in and out and nurses and doctors start running in and I was at the end of the the hospital you know um I was the last bed basically in the hospital room and so people were almost running into the wall to try to hit the brakes and try to figure out why the alarms were were kind of blaring for me as the nurses and doctors start coming in, they start shouting. They're looking over my body, really confused again, but obviously with, with panic and confusion. And for me, I started to feel this beautiful sense of um, calmness, you know, when, when really for me, maybe the most chaotic seconds or minute of my life just felt incredibly calm and peaceful. When you know, if something scary happens to me, if I watch a scary movie or somebody jumps out, you remember that scare, but this was just happiness uh, of while something bad was happening to me. Somebody sat down to the left of me while this was going on and the monitor was to the left of my face, you know, while I'm laying down in the bed. And there's somebody just started stroking my left arm, really peacefully giving me goosebumps and as a 19 year old guy at the time, I didn't want some guy, you know, and I knew it was a guy that was stroking my arm. Normally, if, if a stranger is stroking my arm, I'm not going to be too happy about it. I'd be a little bit confused. And uh, instead, it was just this peaceful feeling of love kind of massaging my arm and a voice, a booming voice, while everybody is shouting and alarms are going off. I hear this voice say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And he's just continually stroking my arm. I try to look over in that chaos to look to my left and I'm prevented. He doesn't allow me to look over, you know, to my left and he won't let me, won't let me see him. And he says, you know, in, in all this chaos, he calmly says, there's going to be a lot of pain going up your arm. There's, there's air going up to your heart and it's going to cause you a lot of pain, but everything's going to be okay. And in that moment, I start to look at the nurses and doctors above me, and they're watching me die. And that's, that's a scary, that's not a facial expression anybody can mimic, right? You can show that you're scared, you can show that you're happy. Somebody can make a confused face, but to watch somebody watch you die is, is, a, is a scary moment. And instead, when that should have been scary, I just felt like everything was gonna be okay. And I was confident in that. And at the last second, I tried to turn over again. The, the pain shooting up my arm, I kind of describe as like a silver bullet, you know, going up, going up my arm. It was very painful. And I can remember that pain to this day. What had happened was it was an air embolism. Um, 
air had accidentally, I guess, traveled up my IV and was traveling directly to my heart to stop my heart. So I look over to my left one more time to try to glimpse, get a glimpse of who's stroking my arm. And at that moment, that hospital monitor went completely flat and I watched myself die. And I get teary eyed talking about it because that's, that's a, you know, that's a very scary thing to, to admit. And in that moment was the most peaceful and beautiful moment of my life. I just remember it was like ice pouring out of my heart, my chest. And when, when my heart should have been in pain, it felt like the most cooling, beautiful sensation, uh, like ice water, really, you know, on a hot day, especially in Australia or in Florida where I'm at, right? Um, it just, it felt so beautiful. And from that moment, my body started to travel upwards and it wasn't a tunnel, maybe like some other people suggest. For me, it was like I was being spun up almost like a tornado because it was just like things circling around me, these beautiful, I would describe them as angels, um, just things of light. And there is like laughter and music and, and the music, um, it's hard to explain, but it was like bells, you know, like, like almost like church bells kind of ringing around. And before I knew it, I was looking at the most beautiful garden ever. Uh, hard to describe because we just don't have colors. We have beautiful greens and your shirt's a beautiful blue. And these were like vivid, very vivid colors that you just can't, I wish I could paint them and I can't. And I was looking at this garden and there was just plants and trees. You know, it was just a, just a nice feeling, a place. And I remember seeing somebody with a robe uh, a gentleman with a robe, and there was a little boy with curly blonde hair, little red, almost, you know, so blonde, it was like red and curly. And for anybody not watching the video that's listening to the podcast, I have dark brown hair, right? So I've watched these, this gentleman and this kid, and they're playing out in this, in this little garden. And before I know it, my feet are planted, and I can remember the feeling of being planted in the dirt and feeling the blades of grass on my feet. And so there wasn't a sense of, you know, in a dream, it's hard because in a dream you can remember things, but you don't necessarily feel things. That's the expression, pinch me, I must be dreaming. I remember my feet, my feet being buried into the dirt. And I'm watching this gentleman play with this little boy. And the little boy is very cheeky. Um, you know, he's like running away and looking back like, oh, I'm getting away from you. You can't catch me. And there's just this beautiful relationship between the man and, and the little boy. And as I get closer, I start to realize that that's me, that I'm that little boy. Up until I was about five years old, I had like golden, golden, you know, blonde hair. And for whatever reason, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's changed to dark brown now. And I start to look and I, as I'm looking at the little boy having the time of his life playing and laughing, uh, the, the gentleman in the white robe turns to me and I am just stunned because without question, without not knowing, you know, it, for me, it was, it was Jesus. And I say that because I, I, I hesitate because he's not who I grew up looking at. Right. It wasn't the picture or, you know, if you go to, if you go to church and you see somebody in, on, on an altar or photos or, um, you know, sculptures, he didn't look like that to me, but without a, a single doubt, you know, as, as sure as you know that your left hand 
is definitely your left hand and your right hand is your right hand. I was looking face to face with Jesus. And without getting too off track, at that time, maybe the day before I, I died while I was in the military, if you had said, hey, Chase, if you die tomorrow, who are you going to see in heaven? I probably would not have said, I'm going to, I'm going to come to face to face with Jesus. I would have said, I'm going to run into Elvis Presley and I'm going to have milk and cookies. You know, it was, it really wasn't um, predetermined that that's what I was going to, to see. So I was really, really, I mean, starstruck, if you will, of like, whoa, you know, Jesus is right here in front of me and everything's kind of starts to click. We share this really, I say it's, it took forever and it was really quick feeling, you know, of this, almost a communication where we were talking without sharing words verbally. Um, you know, I'm sure he didn't speak English, right? <laughs> and that's, that's what I speak. So, you know, we're sharing this conversation and I'm learning all these details and without sharing like verbal words, noises, he kind of looks at me and says, you know, go back and share love, laughter and light and joy. And I look at that little boy and he was having the time of his life. And my lesson while I was there was to find laughter, you know, finding, finding joy is, is so um, underrated, right? We, all of us live really busy lives. And, um, you know, you think of people that work a nine to five job, it's really hard for them to find a lot of laughter while they're at work. And that's the biggest lesson I took. So without really, time to say anything else to him he kind of looked at me and said it's you have to go back now and I was okay with that as as beautiful as this place was the garden seeing me as a little boy having this conversation with Jesus I was ready to go back because I felt like I had a lot more to prove and a lot more to to share and to teach and to, to just more things to love that I didn't appreciate while I was you know originally on the earth and before I knew it, I was back in my body. Now, I woke up and I thought at first it was a dream. I tried opening up my eyes and, you know, if you're having a great dream, you close your eyes again and go, oh, just one more minute, one more minute. Um, but once I realized it wasn't a dream and, and I had to be back in my body, my, uh, you know, I opened up my eyes and it didn't take long for me to realize that I was no longer on the Air Force Base where I died. Uh, nobody was wearing uniforms. Everybody was normally wearing a uniform or camouflage, you know, or, or uh, we call them BDUs back then. And I realized I'm, I'm, I don't know where I am. I'm in a hospital room, but I was not connected to anything. You know, I think back, if somebody dies of an air embolism, you know, really a cardiac arrest, <clears throat> you're going to have that person hooked up to, <laughs> to, you know, to all different contraptions and IVs. And, and they had, I had, I realized that the Air Force, in order to not pronounce me dead on base, they sent me to a civilian hospital. And that's where I woke up. And so I was essentially pronounced dead off base. Um, so the military didn't have to take credit for that. And, um, and yeah, I woke up on a civilian hospital. A nurse eventually came in and it was just a really blank room. There was really nothing going on in that room. And she kind of just said, I'm going to go get the doctor. Ran and got the doctor. Doctor comes in and I'm sure looking back now, I really wish I could remember more of that moment, but I'm sure he's thinking, what the heck? <laughs> How is this person alive again? And uh, they said, we 
we don't know what else to tell you. We're, we're just going to send you back to the Air Force Base for more testing um, because they're your, their responsibility. And so sure enough, they cut me loose from the hospital. They said I was free to leave. And like any 19-year-old would do after they just died, I said, I want to go to, uh, I want to go out to dinner. I'm going to go hang out with my friends and I'm not going back to the hospital. And so eventually a couple of days later, I went back to the hospital. They ran every test they could on my heart after that. Monitors, things I had to wear for two weeks, extensive tests, and there is nothing wrong with my heart now. Not then, not now. Um, whatever happened to me, I was completely healed. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, my beautiful near-death experience. But the sad part of that near-death experience is, as beautiful as it was for me, is I was terrified to tell anybody. Because in the military, it's, it's very unique because, you know, if, if you work a nine-to-five job, you're able to go talk to a therapist privately. If you're stressed out at work, you can say, I'm, I got, you know, I'm suffering from a little bit of stress, anxiety, depression, and you are able to go talk to somebody and nobody will go back to your work and say, hey, they're going through this. You should know about it. But in the military, there are no secrets. So if I were to go and talk to somebody and say, I had this really beautiful, profound experience. I don't know who to talk to about it. Within an hour, my bosses would know about it. My supervisors would all know about it. Coworkers would know about it. And they would probably kick you out of the military, um, you know, for, for being crazy, right? That's, that's what they would say. So I hold no resentment towards the military. I was very proud to serve in the military. I'm an advocate for veterans. Um, I should say that I, I don't hold any resentment to the nurse that accidentally hurt me uh, or the doctors. I just feel like it was supposed to happen. So I don't, don't hold any grudges. Um, but, and I understand why they sent me off base, you know, to pronounce me dead. I, I understand it. Am I happy about it? Probably not. But, um, but the, like I said, the real tragedy is that I, I felt like I had to keep this a secret when my life probably could have looked very different, um, you know, uh, had I been able to share what I went through. It wasn't until I started to really trust people again. And I found, you know, if I was dating a girl, I would share it with her once I trusted her. I would share it with my family, really people that I thought, okay, we know Chase. We're not going to think he's crazy. You know, so it's so I, those are the only people I really shared it with. And then um, I went on a retreat with a veterans organization and something about that or that that retreat opened up everything for me. Um, I went came back and within a day of coming back, my life completely changed uh, for for the better. And I just felt like I finally found my purpose to really start sharing my story with more people. Well, amazing. Thank you so thank you so much for sharing that yeah. profound, profound experience. Many people say it's so hard to describe in words, but you are very articulate. <laughs> Can I just yeah. ask you a few questions? Please, please. How have you fundamentally changed since, since your near-death experience? What are the differences? So the, yeah, I mean, there's there's some really common ones like I could say my, my temperature is a lot lower, my body temperature is lower, right? Uh, electronics, I break easier. But my biggest thing is that I changed because I realized that I, 
everybody here has a purpose, right? Everybody on this earth has a purpose. And there is no greater feeling than, than smiling and finding, finding your passion, which is why I'm excited to be on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I always say now, I, I say Chase the Light, um, which is just obviously a play on my name, Chase. I love that. But, thank you. Um, but when, when I first got out of the Air Force, so I was medically retired out of the Air Force, to, like a permanent retirement. Um, and so I was given a second chance at life, I feel like. You know, I was I was young and I could really have done anything I wanted and I did. So anything that I wanted to do when I was a little kid, anything that influenced me, I knew I was gonna go back and try those things. So for example, I was really into photography. So I invested in a in a you know a really nice camera, became a photographer, shot weddings for people, got to do stuff, got put in a magazine, really, really cool. And then I said, you know what? People always said I was funny growing up. I want to be a comedian. And sure enough, I put myself <laughs> in comedy school and I got to I got to perform comedy and I went through and I got to headline a show, um, you know, at a, at a really nice comedy club. And then I stopped. I remember thinking breakdancing was cool. There was this old movie called Breakin' uh, Electric Boogaloo, right? It came out, I think, in the 80s. I think I've seen it. <laughs> I used, right, and, I, and I used to think it was the coolest movie. So I joined a breakdancing club at a local university. I didn't even go to that university, but I just, you know, searched online and became a breakdancer. We got to do performances and people would look and go, how old are you? And I would tell them my age and they'd be like, you know, look at your resume, you're this, you've done DJing, you're a photographer, breakdancer, comedian, you know, and I just, I wouldn't slow down. Um, for better, or for worse at the time, I just was on a, I guess you could say on a tear to just do everything that interests me. A passion for life. It was a passion for life. And I, and I just thought, if this happens again, if my heart stops again, and I go back up again, well, I go, I did everything I loved. I'm so fulfilled. You know, I loved everything. I loved people. I loved things that I thought were cool, you know. And, um, and to me, that's what passion is about and chasing the light. So your question of, you know, how it fundamentally changed me is I realized that there's, there's no sense of waiting to find things that you love. Um, my brother and my wife really are great examples. My brother, ever since he was a little, grew up obsessed with comic books, uh, obsessed. And I used to, he's, he's five years older than me. And I used to kind of pick on him and go, oh, you know, what a nerd, you know, reading comic books, you know, you're in high school now. And sure enough, now he's, uh, you know, I don't want to say the things that he's written, but he's a he's written very well-known TV shows uh, and, and comic book movies. And so he is living his passion since he was little. My wife started dancing when she was three years old and she's still a dancer now and she's living her passion. Um, and so for me, any way that I can help spread that joy for people and say, Hey, you know, if you wanted to be a ballerina when you're a little girl, but now you're working in accounting, it's not too late. It doesn't mean you have to go perform, you know, in, in France and, you know, and be this beautiful ballerina on stage, but there are classes locally um, or there's like meetup groups where you can, you know, find that passion again. What made you happy when you're a little kid? And um, so I would say that's, that's the biggest change in me is realizing that there are so many ways to find things that you love and, and find a life that you love. That's 
that's so beautiful. Of, of course, I 100% agree with you. But I also say to people that are trying to find their purpose, or their passion, and I guess they're different, but that excitement, that feeling is your intuitive guidance guiding you. Um, right. Fear often gets in the way. Absolutely. Fear and money, I think, are the two biggest things, mm -hmm. or they don't want to disappoint themselves. You know, if somebody or says, others. exactly, Big that's one. exactly <laughs> right. You're completely right. Those would be like the three evil parts, right? Of um, others, you know, fear of rejection money. Um, you know, but what I say to that is, is you have to live for yourself. It's okay to be selfish. Sometimes we live in a world where they say, you know, look out for everybody. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, but it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for myself. I'm going to take every Wednesday night and I'm just going to find an hour to myself to find something I really love. Um, maybe two years ago for me personally, I had to fill out a survey that said, what are your hobbies? And I, and I, it was blank. I said, oh, spend time with family, you know, which was really a cop out because I love my family, but I couldn't think of any other hobbies. I had let all of that go away for some of those reasons, because money, I said, you know, I don't have the money to go and try all these, you know, fun things. And then fear of what if I stink at it? What if I, you know, find something, if I really want to learn how to be a painter, um, what if I'm terrible you know, you get older, you start to um, suffer from that anxiety of, you know, rejection or failure. Um, so I said, you know, I've really got to turn this around. I, I don't have any hobbies anymore. And so I think, like you said, there are elements where people hold themselves back and say, you know, I can't do this because of that. And I can't, and I agree. There's some people that are very physically disabled that are unable to maybe find their joy, but there are ways to be creative. And I think just talking to somebody and saying, you know what, you know what I really wanted to do when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a break dancer. And somebody might say, you know what, I heard about this group with people in wheelchairs where they can learn how to dance. So you just never know. Um, but I think if we all share our passions or our joys or things we loved when we were a little kid with more people, I think, like you said, there's, there's synchronicities all over the place where our, our angels will guide us and say, as long as we're looking, right? That's the that's the uh, the kicker there is if we're looking for those signs, those signs will be there for us. And and I think that's something I I certainly can do more of is is look for the signs and not ignore the signs around me. What an inspiration you are! It's so important to get clear on what it is that you want i'm sure people ask you this as well i get it a lot but what's your advice for those people that say i don't know what my passion is i don't know what i want yeah and I, that's there's nothing wrong with that i think that's even more exciting to me if somebody kind of feels downhearted and says i just don't know what i love anymore or i just don't know what excites me to me that's a blank canvas and there's nothing more beautiful than a blank canvas i say go out and try things you know, there are so many different apps now and websites and just different ways to just connect and say, you know what, um, great example is I've never been to a yoga class before. I thought, you know, I'm big guy, I'm not going to go do yoga. <laughs> and I tried it and I, and I really did like it, but there was limitations because I have, you know, I have a replaced knee and bad back and I thought, okay, well, you know, I tried it. And then sure enough, I found, you know, another area of that. Um, for, I just became a Reiki master recently. Congratulations. A year and a half ago. Thank you so much. A year and a half ago, I didn't know how to pronounce Reiki. I would have said Raki or Reiki <laughs> or I just, I, you know, I was, 
I was a little bit um, naive on, on a lot of these things. I didn't own a crystal, healing crystal, until a year and a half ago. It was something that I did not believe in. But then as I really started to research it and go and, and really try to like find crystals that spoke to me, then I found this whole beautiful world of, of something I didn't know. So for people who don't know your passion and you don't know, maybe you just, life has kind of beat you down a little bit to, to say, you know, I don't know what I like anymore. Just go out and try stuff. There's, uh, again, there's websites where you can search festivals in my area or you know, art walks in my area, then just try those things. And a lot of those things are free. So if money is a limitation, just go out and try some of those free events and something might spark for you, but you have to be open to the spark. You know, if you're walking around going, angels speak to me, angels speak to me, point me in the direction, it might not happen. But if something uh, stands out to you and really gets that, that jitter, or that goosebump for you, then I think you're starting to go down the right path of, oh, I think I like this, you know, and, and, and keep going down that path. Gosh, I'm, I'm so inspired talking to you. <laughs> um, have you had an experience with Jesus since your near-death experience? I have. I'm so glad you asked that. I, um, I continue as I meditate and as I continue to feel more comfortable asking angels or Jesus for questions, I feel like they are there for me all the time. And when they're not there for me, I, I still think they're there. Um, there's moments where I will meditate and I'll just expect to kind of relax and just be in, you know, just kind of take a, a quick 10 minute break or a 30 minute break. And all of a sudden it's kind of like a boom, you know, it's, we're right back talking again. And I want to ask questions and I go, I, I mean, this sounds kind of funny, but I, I just maybe a couple of weeks ago, I said, how do you feel about the cross? And I was trying to talk to Jesus and I said, how do you feel about the cross? And he said, well, if it was, my, and, and, and I, and I laugh because some people don't want to have that funny relationship, but we have to remember that he, he was a man and everybody has a sense of humor. Right. So I, I kind of say that, you know, because people go, no, you know, he doesn't laugh. And I'm like, that's not true. You know? And I said, how do you feel about the cross? And he said, I feel better about the sun because whether you can see me or not, I'm always there whether it's dark or it's light out, I am always there and I'm always there to bring light to you. And I started crying and my wife's, we were on a plane and my wife said, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, you know, and she kind of knew, she knew something was happening spiritually for me at that moment. So I'm, I am able to communicate um, if, if you, if I ask, you know, and sometimes it happens when I least expect it. Um, but for those people, I've, I should say, I've had people message me, um, the more I share my story and people are jealous and, you know, and which makes me sad, of course, because I don't want people to be jealous of my experience. Some people will say, I pray every day. I've been going to church for 30 years and I've had no luck. I can't speak to anybody. I can't talk to Jesus. And that makes me sad because two things, one, it's not fun to die. <laughs> you know, I, 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 my experience started because of that, um, which isn't a fun experience. It, it happened to be beautiful for me. And two, uh, he's always around. And it's, it's not just about Christianity. I believe that if you are of a Native American background, if you're Buddhist, Islamic, if, if you're atheist, whatever you believe in, whatever kind of presence you have, that something that is out there that um, you want to strive to work towards, I believe that you can talk to those people um, 
or beings, you know, I don't want to say people, but I believe that there's always somebody to talk to that you can't see or hear or feel maybe. Um, so, so yes, I can, I can communicate often. I try to, um, but for those of listeners that say, I just can't break through just know that they are listening and that they are always here to help. Nobody in heaven or in any other realm wants to see anybody suffer. That's never, ever the case. So um, just stay positive and know that just because you can't see them right now doesn't mean they're not there. Beautiful. I've just got two more questions, if that's okay with you. Um, You've explained it so well, but are you able to describe from your experience what Jesus looked like? Yeah. Um, So the closest I've ever seen, which to me is like a photograph image, it was drawn by this. She was very young at the time. Her name was, I I don't want to pronounce it wrong. So somebody, it's it's Akian or Akiani, um, I believe her name is. a young girl. And so for me, he had tight brown curly hair. It was short. Um, and he had these stark green eyes, chiseled jaw, um, was super tanned, you know, uh, he was a tanned gentleman. And, uh, but the eyes to me were, were the kindest eyes I've ever seen. They had wrinkles in the side from laughing and smiling. And I remember that standing out to me. Um, you know, just regular like pierced lips and, uh, and just, you know, maybe from what I can remember, like five, nine in, in height, you know, five mm-hmm. foot nine inches in height. But the, I watched a movie called heaven is for real. I think it was heaven is for real with my wife once didn't know where we were getting into. I cried my eyes out during the whole <laughs> movie because it just, it hit home. I had never really heard a near death experience other than mine at the time. I didn't go and research it at the time. So when I saw that movie, that kind of sparked a lot for me and said, whoa, there's a lot of other people maybe that went through this. And towards the end of that movie, they show that that painting by the young girl. Um, and, and to me, it's like if if I took a picture of you right now, that's that's what you look like. And if you saw a picture of me, that's what I look like. That painting that she did was 100 percent what he looked like to me. Um, so I, when I still see that painting, I, I kind of, I get the tear in my eye. I get a little overwhelmed because, you know, it, it kind of takes my breath away of the beauty of, of that feeling that I had while I was in heaven. And um, yeah, so I don't know if that helps answer it, but that to me is exactly what he looked like. Yeah, that's great. And of course, it was a, an emotive, a feeling experience more than anything. Yeah. I guess my last question is, what is your advice to many of those people that are afraid of death yeah um such that's that's the the number one question right um and it's it's a fair question i don't fear death so i can only speak from my experience i feel like if you live a beautiful life here to the best of your ability i don't think you should fear death um there are a lot of times where people might be dying before you feel like you get what you want out of somebody, right? So my wife's uh, grand, uh, grandfather just passed away recently. Since a lot of this near-death experience stuff has come up for me, he was the first person that was close to us that passed away. And it was really tough for me because I'm so confident that she's gonna, be, she's gonna have him in his life for the rest of her life. He's always gonna be around. He's always gonna be there to comfort her. Um, he was in Australia, so 
I said, you know, he's going to be closer than he ever was with you, right? Because <laughs> we would have to buy a, buy a ticket on Qantas, you know, to fly over to see him. Where now, if you close your eyes and you just want him, his presence, he's going to be right there. So people who are afraid of death, just know that my experience was really beautiful. My experience taught me that there's nothing to be afraid of, but while you're here, do everything you can to smile. Um, and, and you'll feel so much better when that time comes. And if you have somebody, let's say in your family, if you have a parent or a sibling or a close friend who is um, you know, aging, getting older or who is sick, just be there for them in that moment. And as hard as it is to say it, because I, I don't wanna be a hypocrite, because if I lose my parents, I know I'm gonna be heartbroken, even knowing what I know, mm. um, but just know in your heart and in the back of your mind that they're always gonna be there. And you have a chance to be closer with them than you ever were before. Uh, just close your eyes, talk to them, ask them for signs, but be willing to see the signs. If you say, you know, I really miss you. You know, can you show me a butterfly soon? Look for butterflies. Maybe you've never haven't seen a butterfly in weeks. If a butterfly pops up, don't go, ah, that's just coincidence. Just appreciate that moment and go, thank you. I know you're with me now. Thank you know, I get butterflies because I do that all the time. I don't try to quiz or test um, relatives or or angels and go prove it that you're here. What I do is say, you know, hey, if you're around and you can hear me, I would love to just get a sign. And, and I always know when that sign comes, I'm 100% certain. I laughed myself. I probably, you know, if I'm out in public, I probably look like lunatic, right? But I just, I'm able to find that those beautiful um, symbols around when I ask for them. And I just say, um, don't get disappointed if you don't see them because they probably are there. You just might not be seeing them yourself. Um, so don't be afraid of death, but do embrace being here on earth and I'm making the best of it every day. Beautiful. Where, Chase, where's the best place for people to connect with you? And I will also put a link in the show notes Great. below. Yeah, um, my website uh, or my social media. But if you go to the website, you can link, you see all my social media. It's Chase, C-H-A-S-E. And then it's Skylar, S-K-Y-L-A-R.com. Easy enough. So ChaseSkylar.com. And if you go there, follow me on social media, let's talk. Uh, any questions that I can answer, any motivation you need, I'm here for you. And that's definitely the best way to get in touch with me. What, what an inspiring, passionate conversation, Chase. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience to end the show? Just chase your light, chase the light as much as you can, find ways to make yourself happy. This podcast is a great start, you know, keep listening to the podcast because I've gotten inspired listening to, you know, the podcast, the interviews that you've done. Just uh, if you need motivation, dig deep and find it because you will live a fulfilled life. And, uh, and I hope everybody the best. And I love all of you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for spreading your light in the world, Chase. Scala DeMeo, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I mean it. And uh, hopefully we can keep in touch and uh, do an interview soon again. Sure. It was an honor. Bye-bye. Bye. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe for weekly passionate inspirational interviews. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. 
As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.